0: This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Eric Johnson, CFO of Nintex, and you are listening to the CFO Thought
1: Leader Podcast.
0: This is episode 328. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we feature four different CFOs, side by side, each answering the question, what role did you want to create for yourself as you entered the CFO office? As you'll see, our question reveals quite a bit about the evolving role of finance leadership and the central role it today plays in process building, culture building, and trust building. Honestly, who has time for numbers? You'll hear from our first CFO after these words from our sponsor. Finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid sized organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday. Built for the future. Few finance leaders have given us more to think about when it comes to the CFO as a process builder, as a culture builder, and as a trust builder within organizations than Jean Prather, CFO of eBuilder. Here's Jean.
2: What all the companies that I've ever worked for have, the one thing they have in common is they needed help building processes and they needed help going to the next level. So like something like Mastec, who is a billion-dollar company, they didn't have the infrastructure and the process, and I had to implement Sarbanes-Oxley there. So I learned a lot at Mastec about Sarbanes-Oxley and the whole process and the internal controls. So I had that base at KPMG, but I just built upon it at Mastec. And then, you know, you go to someone like Prolexit, never had a CFO, much smaller company, but you're able to accomplish, you know, you, in a smaller company, you touch everything. And, um, you know, they so they needed process. They had never had a CFO. They, they needed someone to build them to the next level. And same with eBuilder. eBuilder found what I did at Prolexic, they needed to mirror that. And basically I came in and I've been, you know, trying to look at internally all the processes. And I'm much more operational CFO focused than, you know, just a behind the scenes spreadsheet financial person. So all of the companies that I've worked for in my career are all related to just process improvement, getting the company to the next level. And with NASTEC, even though they were a billion-dollar company, they needed a lot of change because of all the issues they had with the SEC.
0: Now, what is the role you were looking to create for yourself at eBuilder?
2: Um, I want to create – I just wanted to build value for eBuilder. There was so much opportunity here because they didn't have a CFO in the previous either, so I was their first CFO. So I'm just able to – help like having talked to the vp of customer implementation and asking them how they do revenue and how they recognize revenue and not you know automating that and making it more efficient and and having more improvements with revenue recognition i've implemented systems in in each of my jobs i implemented oracle at mastec i implemented Um, Great Plains at Prolexic, and I implemented that suite at eBuilder. So, automating processes, making things more efficient, making sales and accounting talk to each other in a much better, making communication throughout the company so much better, Um, and touching everybody in the company and not just, you know, staying in your finance world. I'm attracted to smaller companies because, as I said earlier, I touch everything. With, With bigger companies, you tend to be put into a, you know, a box and I can't, I can't touch. Like I talk to every employee at this company. I feel like it's a family. The culture is so, is so good. And it was like that at all the small companies I worked. So I, I like the small company mentality. You're able to touch more. You're able to make more of a difference. And I feel I have a lot of value and satisfaction every day. And one of my biggest strengths is my, is managing people, and I feel like on the bigger companies, it's all, like, so metric-driven and, you know, the organizational chart. I wouldn't have a lot of people under me directly, and with smaller companies, you tend to have, a you know, a lot of people reporting to you, and you can make a difference in their lives and in their careers, and people look up to me, and they trust me, and they reach out to me, And I get a lot of um, satisfaction with that that I don't think I would get at a bigger company.
0: Do you see the role of the CFO as really being a primary contributor to the creation of culture, corporate culture, inside uh, this weight class of company?
2: Yes. Yes. Um, The first thing I do is I, I establish trust. And it's not just with the people that report to me. It's with everyone. So, like... Um, For example, at eBuilder, when I came on, the CEO was signing all the contracts and sales and doing all the sales stuff, and that got shifted to me. And so I had to establish trust with salespeople. I had to develop a relationship with them. And so it's not an automatic thing. You just don't walk into a building and just think, okay, this is just going to happen. You have to establish the respect and the trust. And then so with sales, like we – sales and accounting we click we get along they understand what I need I understand what they need and same with professional services you know we have a whole implementation team that performs services and I establish relationships with all the implementation people so they can trust me if they have a question on revenue or if I have a question there's an easy communication so in the executive team You know, just not assuming that, you know, we all should just get along. It's work. It's, you know, you have to establish relationships with everyone and make sure that, you know, the respect's there and they understand your motivation versus what they need to get done. And so we all click on all cylinders. And it's very important that the executive team is on the same page because that does, you know, affect culture. If all of us are – feeling differently and not on the same page, then, you know, it it goes down to the organization. So I feel like I'm an integral part of the culture. People look up to me. They look to me to see how I am, what's happening, and, you know, that's what people look
0: for. They look at the executives. Our next finance leader has had CFO tours of duty inside the manufacturing and healthcare sectors before jumping to C2 education, which resides inside the test prep space today. I began by asking CFO Marty Moore how he was able to jump from one industry to the next, whereas many CFOs tend to be industry-specific. Here's what he shared.
1: Well, it's very interesting because you're, you're absolutely right. And the common denominator, of course, throughout all of those is it is private equity back. And in a lot of cases, the private equity uh, investors want somebody who understands their business model and what they are in the business of doing. They're in the business of, you know, a variety of different investment pieces, but they're in the business of basically buying and selling companies. You know, they want to sell for more than they, than they bought it for. And so they want someone who thinks that way, who understands how to operate under a leverage, leveraged capital structure. But the other thing about that is, and that this was the experience when I moved from manufacturing consumer goods into healthcare, uh, the the management team at the time was, I think, was pretty enlightened in that they said, we really don't want somebody with a healthcare background. We want new ideas, and we want new thoughts. You're coming out of manufacturing. You're coming out of a lean Six Sigma kind of view. He said, healthcare doesn't really have that, and we'd love to see what kind of cross cross-industry kind of tactics and and things that you can bring into our um into our business. So they actually opened it they did not want to health care. Uh and the same thing when I moved from healthcare into education, it's sort of the same view. It's like you have a lot of broad business experience that there's best practices that we may not be exposed to in our particular industry, but that you can bring forward from either healthcare or you can bring forward from uh, manufacturing or consumer goods, and there is a lot of overlap. There could it is quite a overlap. Now you you do have to be a pretty quick learner, <laughs> pretty a fast start. But uh, for the most part, uh, you know, eighty percent of what you do can transfer over. It's that twenty percent that you got to focus on.
0: So you arrive now at C two, and what is the kind of job you want to create here? What is the uh... The philosophy of finance, as your philosophy has evolved over time, yeah. What is the role you want to play?
1: It's, it's of course that's the question everyone's asking me when I when I started. They said, well, you know, here's a new guy, here's the new CFO. What, what does he expect? And I think it was pretty clear. I, I, you know, basically said, you know, the four things that I would that I want to do as a CFO here are the same four things I've done at all my other companies, and you know, and they're not in the order of importance except the last one is, but. Basically, it's, you know, first of all, you have, we have to have transactional excellence. In other words, the blocking and tackling of finance and accounting has to happen, and it has to happen, you know, it's a, it's a given. And so if we have issues there, then we're going to, have to focus on those before we do anything else. So transactional excellence is the first thing, and then, you know, can we close the books on time? Can do, you know, do we pay bills properly? Is payroll handled properly? You know, are we, is the financial reporting in the systems, are they all operating as they should? The the other one is, and the second one then would be, is I really push financial planning analysis. I think that's an incredibly important role. It's becoming a more and more important role for, uh, ascri- or, uh, aspiring people who want to be CFO to have that FP&A kind of background I think is even more important now. Um, so be able to not only tell the management team and investors and all your other stakeholders, Where you've been and where you are today, you've got to be able to tell them where you are going. And that's incredibly important in the private equity world, but also in other, you know, certainly other kinds of structures as well. Uh, to be able to say, this is where we are, and based on the data that I have through my, you know, through the, through my various systems, this is where I believe we are going to go. And that can either be good or bad. It can say, you know, we may have a problem down the road, so we need to act now, or hey, this, things are going very well. Let's let's reinvest or let's invest more into this particular uh, aspect because the projections are showing it to be very doing very well. So that, FP, that financial plan analysis role I think is really important. And then the the, the third one then is sort of the CFO as a strategic advisor. And that's when I was interviewing here with C two that was the, the requirement that they that the other C level uh, people here r- r- really wanted to partner with the CFO. They said we need a strategic and an operational partner. That can help us think through problems. That can help us think through um, opportunities and evaluate those opportunities. Should we be in and out of this business or not in this business? Those type of things. So, it's a very there's a very strong strategic element too. And again, you read any periodic or any trade magazine about you know for for people who are in the financial field, certainly as CFOs, that strategic. Uh, alignment and strategic skill set is becoming more and more and more important. Matter of fact, the days of the, of the transactional kind of CFO seem to be, seem to be, uh, uh, not as important as now that strategic alignment. And then the fourth thing, which I think supersedes every, all the previous three is the whole talent management. I mean, to the extent that you can't, you gotta to have top line skilled people, uh, in, on your team working with you or you'll never get the, uh, the first three accomplished at that point. So that's, and that talent is, 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 can be somewhat, you know, personally for me coming into a brand new company. It's pretty quick. You gotta do it pretty quick and you gotta make some pretty, you know, relatively quick judgments because of course, uh, you're gonna, this team is what's gonna drive the business forward and drive the financial function forward. So you wanna, you wanna make that assessment pretty quick. And that but that assessment is always is not necessarily stay or go that assessment can also be hey this person I think they're really they they've got some good potential we just need to develop them a little bit more let's get them some more training or additional training things such as that. So it's more than just you know they' this, this person's on the team or they're not on the team it's also how do we get them uh, let's get them some more skills and some more uh, 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 development.
0: Next you'll be hearing from, Carol Woods, CFO of Dizion. And again, we asked Carol about the role she wanted to create for herself as she entered the CFO office. And interestingly, here too, our conversation quickly branched off uh, into culture building. Now here's Carol.
3: Um, I've worked for Freshwater Software, P-Simple, Dizion, and um, just getting that sort of contrast between companies and what their strategies are. Uh, Freshwater bootstrapped the company and uh... really didn't take much funding at all from outsiders and uh... very interesting model you know a lot of tech companies are um working with venture capitalists and and growth equity and you know building in that way but Freshwater was more of a bootstrapped company um had some great success uh... sold to a company called mercury interactive uh... and then i worked for pay simple and um... they were private equity funded and um and was just a great experience, and then vision. And what I would say about all of those companies is uh, it was a very exciting time taking them from kind of the smaller company where you have everybody jumping in and just doing whatever is needed, and then as you grow, in order to scale, you have to develop some maturity and develop systems and processes and really get the team functioning to create sort of a well-ordered, machine to get you to that next level so um, you know just the combination of the different experiences there were just really critical in giving me the experience I needed to you know come here and help lead this company
0: can you tell us a little about that bootstrapped environment and sort of the mindset uh, that you had at the time what was top of mind
3: Profitability. <laughs> you know, they really didn't want to take money from the outside, and so we were very focused on um, staying skinny and um, making sure that we were profitable. And we were kind of getting to the point where we were going after more of the enterprise end of the market. We signed a contract with IBM, and there had we not sold at that point, there may have come a, a time where we needed to raise capital to stay ahead of that. But, um, but the focus really there was staying profitable. Um, you know, and so we, we just really were working with a skinny staff and, um, and doing what we, you know, everybody pitching in and doing what we had to do to keep that bottom line positive. What well, so.
0: about arriving at Dision and the type of job here? I mean, it's not like here we go again. Was there an opportunity here for you, perhaps? to uh, explore new areas of how to perform the CFO role? I
3: would say, um, you know, there was kind of what I had been through before. You know, they, we had less than 20 employees when I started. And so having the opportunity um, to, to to grow and, and help the company mature. But also one of the things that enticed me here was the founders were all out of Biowest. And, you know, Biowest has a great reputation around town, um, sold for over a billion dollars. I knew that this team was experienced and, you know, was a great team that I can uh, learn from and grow with. And so that was very appealing to me. And another thing was because we were a small team, you know, less than 20 people at that point in time, I was excited to come in and help build the culture. Um, So I do oversee HR here and hired our first HR person. And, um, you know, already in the nine months I've been here or so, we've already revamped our PTO policies and um, started a goal-setting program for our employees, and so I was really excited about that opportunity, not only to um, grow the business, be part of that strategy, um, you know, the strategic direction in general, both on the finance side and on the operations side, but also to be um, part of developing that culture, which, you know, so far has been really fun, and we still have a long way to go, and I'm really excited about that aspect of it.
0: Thought Leader listeners, we have one more finance leader whose thoughts we know you'll want to hear. But first, we need to share a few words from our kind and much-loved sponsor. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. You want smart? of year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. One of the more thoughtful finance leaders that we've had the uh, privilege to speak to uh, during the last year was Alan Hockey, of ServiceMaster. Now, we asked Alan uh, about the role uh, he wanted to create for himself as he entered uh, the CFO office at ServiceMaster. But part of what we wanted to share with you is uh, his backstory uh, in regards to his finance career and how his earlier tours of duty prepared him to be CFO at ServiceMaster. Here's Alan.
4: I've been in the u s now about sixteen years. I've been with Service Master for the last three, and prior to that, I was with a company called Federal Mogul. and it was when I was at Federal Mogul that I was brought over in the year two thousand to, to essentially be head of FPNA in uh, in Detroit in the automotive industry.
0: And so when you arrive at servicemaster, what what's the type of role you're you were looking to create for yourself here?
4: Um. Well I actually service master at that time was um, owned by a private equity company CDNR, and so part of the role was to come in and help reorganize this business as well as prepare it for the IPO which ended up occurring in June 2014 um, and so it was obvious at the outset that, that what the company would benefit most from was a was a sort of what you might call manufacturing discipline um, I would never say that all businesses will benefit from such a thing. And you can never take sort of manufacturing and manufacturing operations disciplines and transpose them perfectly over what is a service business. But um, the business benefited uh, from the introduction of some of those philosophies. And those are philosophies that the, the CEO, Rob Gillette, also brought in. He, he, he hired me, he'd been here at service Master about three months prior to me and brought me in. And we had sort of similar backgrounds.
0: I'm curious, Alan, what, uh, because it does seem like a different industry altogether. Could Could you better clarify some of the commonalities and what made you an attractive uh, hire?
4: Well, sure. I mean, one of the things you learn in a manufacturing business is kind of how to eke out a living between a set of dominant customers uh, and a set of dominant suppliers with very heavy focus on cash and working capital management. Now... Service Master is a business that is actually very very cash productive um but almost had more cash than it knew what to do with or more cash ability than it knew what to do with. So bringing in some of the disciplines around that 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 I developed by virtue of being in a more thrifty environment meant that there are a number of me- there were a number of mechanisms that I could find to unlock trapped cash in service Master, which we then used to pay down debt because we were very, very highly levered. So the sort of rigorous disciplines from a perspective of cash management and working capital management, the, the other aspect that I think is perfectly transferable from a manufacturing operation and I think uh, did make me an attractive hire for Rob Gillette was the concept of being an operator. When you are a CFO or a controller or something in, in a manufacturing business, you're very much also an operator of the business. And that's what the Service Master at that time needed people who could come in and operate it. And we basically used the same concepts that a manufacturing operations uses. You identify the fixed full period costs, you identify the variable margins, and you try to exert operating leverage over those fixed costs as effectively as you possibly can. And for Service Master, that basically means using things like pricing uh, and um, being in a position of power with our suppliers, uh, contrary to the situation I was in at uh, my former company, uh, where which is an automotive supplier, Service Master has significant leverage over its suppliers, uh, and therefore uh, recognizing that we could exert that power um, to, uh, to help expand our margins was also part of the, uh, the brief, if you like, when I came in here.
0: So, when you do arrive and you you take a look at the team and the competencies, given what you just shared with us, were there areas of the finance function that you wanted to modify or change or make new hires? Yes,
4: I mean I did a fair amount of reorganization. but to my mind, the most important thing about building a finance team isn't isn't so much um, the building a collection of high performing individuals. Uh, more it's a case of building a team of people that may be at varying levels of competence, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, but that gel together effectively as a team. When I came there, I felt that I had um, a, a dysfunctional finance team that just had a little bit of the gotcha culture about them. Aha, gotcha. Got the operations. They messed up over here. Um, and my one of my principal goals was to build a, a finance team that, that was arm-in-arm arm with the operations, and sharing in, the, in a sense of success. And that requires required changing out some people, um, uh, describing that, that goal and that culture. And as is often the case, I probably made my last staff move, let's say, 12 months later than I should have done. This. And I think this is probably something that everybody says. Um, waited too long because I was reluctant to make a move on a certain person. And when I did, the team really gelled. And I knew I'd sort of succeeded once overnight with that one last staff change. And I had a team of people that that had each other's backs.
0: Okay. Let me thank our finance leaders, Gene Prather of eBuilder, Marty Moore of C2 Education, Carol Wood, of Dizion and Alan Hockey of Service Master. Side by side, they make for some compelling listening. We hope you agree. For CFO Thought Leader, thank you for joining us.